Welcome to San Diego News Fix, The Backstory. I'm Luis Cruz. Every week, we're giving you a behind-the-scenes look at our industry and giving you an insight into how decisions in our newsroom are made. In the wake of the mass shootings and hate crimes in Buffalo and Laguna Woods, today we're going to discuss how we cover hate crimes in our community. Joining me today are public safety editor Dana Littlefield, enterprise team editor Christina Davis, managing editor Laura Sacalo, and we begin with editor and publisher Jeff Light. Jeff? Uh, thank you, Luis. Um, such a, 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 a terrible, uh, terrible week for, uh, for, for the country. Um, and something that I think that we here in San Diego got um, a, a close-up view of a few years ago in, in 2019 with the, with the um, shootings at the Chabad in Poway that killed one person, if I recall, um, and, and injured, injured maybe three people. And uh, uh, horrible in itself and very close to being much, much worse, right? Could have definitely have been a buffalo. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously a very intense time journalistically for us. And I feel like a time really of a lot of, of learning. And one thing that really sticks in my mind uh, from that whole period was looking back at our coverage of the, uh, the arson fire at the uh, Islamic Center in Escondido that the, uh, the person, the shooter in this case, uh, who was convicted in this case, had set weeks earlier. And that uh, arson fire, it itself clearly a hate crime, uh, didn't make our front page. And it's something that really haunts me looking back like, wow, I don't think we as a journalism organization, and maybe by extension, we as a community really understood the uh, uh, sort of the progress and process of hate in our community to understand that fire is super bad. Um, and, uh, you know, so with that in mind, I guess I just wanted to turn to Christina Davis, who as a reporter uh, uh, has covered a lot of uh, hate groups um, and uh, some of the progress or process around uh, the John Ernest case in that uh, Poway shooting. Um, so Christina, what, what, what do we know about uh, hate in our community? And maybe some of what you've learned uh, as a journalist of uh, maybe some guidance on how to cover these things. Yeah, so I, I I didn't grow up in San Diego. I came here in 2006. Um, but people who, you know, have been here for a long time, I think will recognize that hate groups and, and racism and white supremacy, you know, there are some really deep roots in San Diego. Um, going back, I don't know if it's part of, you know, where we are at the border, but going back to um, KKK groups, um, who were doing vigilante action down at the border, um, you know, like uh, in the in the 40s and 50s. And um, you had some uh, real notorious figures down here, um, Tom Metz, Metzger being one of them um, in the, the 60s and 70s, um, uh, doing a, the war group um, and recruiting um, people from all over the country. And this was, it was headquartered here in San Diego. Um, 
And so, you know, I wasn't aware of a lot of that and, and maybe people kind of tend to forget about that. And then I feel like, um, the Poway shooting came as such a shock to people. At least it did to me. It was just kind of this, um, initiation of, um, of real violence, real targeted violence. Um, so I know I had to be schooled pretty quickly on these kinds of crimes, um, and what they look like today in today's world. Um, one of the things that that crime illustrated was the, um, online radicalization, um, you know, which had, uh, really changed uh, kind of the way that people are brought in and, and the communities around hate, you know, back in the day, it was, you know, you would attend these meetings. Um, sometimes they were pretty open and public in the communities. Other times they were more um, closed, but you still had people um, interacting in person and uh, it was a little more localized, right? In your community. Um, Cause you had to go to the person's house or the community center um, to talk about these kinds of things. And now it's, um, a lot more loosely organized, um, and it's people from all over the country and all over the world really connecting on these forums. Um, the Poway shooter was, he, he basically said in his manifesto that he was radicalized on one of these kind of notorious message boards. Um, and, uh, pretty quickly, I think too. Uh, and so, uh, I think we had to dive in and understand that these aren't spaces that I think a lot of us as journalists um, here were, you know, maybe we're a little bit aware of them, but we certainly weren't spending time in them. Um, so I had to kind of go dive in and spend some time in these places, which was pretty shocking. Yeah. Um, I, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, no. Um, so uh, what, what was the, I guess that the, the other part to your question? Well, let me follow up a little bit. Yeah. I mean, uh, um, uh, you and I both uh, uh, participate pretty regularly in the Hate Crimes Coalition group uh, that's run out of the uh, U.S. Attorney's Office, usually, I think, uh, takes the lead on that group here in San Diego. So we hear this conversation uh, every month about, you know, what's going on at the community level. And that's a meeting of uh, law enforcement and uh, community uh, representatives and uh and, and anti-hate uh, activists, right? Yeah. So um, I guess a question I always have when I'm, when I'm sitting in those meetings is, wow, are we doing enough? And uh, I don't know what your perceptions are as you, as you listen to the conversation mm -hmm. about what people are hearing in the community and stuff that somehow doesn't quite rise to the level of news a lot of it, right? Yeah, I mean, I... I, I you're right. I sit in those meetings um, and I'm usually surprised at some of the anecdotes and the things that I hear happening out there that don't they don't really seem to be a getting up to us, you know, to to the media um, or I guess they kind of are, you know, because we're sitting in there now. But um, but things that maybe the police departments aren't putting out in press releases or um wanting to publicize for whatever reason. Uh, I think the other side of that though, too, is, um, you know, you listen to these community leaders um, in, uh, you know, all different kinds of communities around uh, our county and the, almost the frustration that they have um, 
just trying to get people to understand that it's okay to report these incidents and where to report them. Um, Those conversations always seem to revolve around how can we get the word out um, to make people feel more comfortable to report these hate incidents, right? And and I think that's that's one of the most important things that I'm hearing out there. Um, And it's they're really trying to get a a groundswell movement going um, just to make that information more accessible, to educate the community um, on on what is a hate crime versus what's a hate incident. Um, You know, that that's the other really important thing um, that, you know, there's a lot of really ugly, nasty things um, with definite, you know, racist overtones or whatever um, that don't rise to the level of um, a hate crime where someone can actually be prosecuted for that. so uh, as journalists, too, I, I think that that's something that, you know, we try to uh, be careful making clear in our stories um, and try to use the legal definitions of, of what's a hate incident versus a hate crime. And, um, you know, Laura, I'm not sure if that really um, factors into some of our coverage de- decisions sometimes, um, but uh that's, I think, one of the most overriding challenges that I see in that group is, is how do we get the word out, you know, more on the ground level versus getting information out to the top levels. And, and I'll say also, too, I think another big challenge is that police officers, the majority of police officers out there aren't trained to deal with these incidents. Um, so I think there's a big push to train police officers, not just the hate crimes person at a particular department and there are different liaisons and in, de- in departments, but um, we constantly hear complaints of, um, you know, a person in the community going up to that patrol officer that either gets called or that they happen to stop on the street and report something. And, and we hear complaints that the, the officer just doesn't recognize it as uh, a hate incident or a hate crime that should be reported or seems to kind of blow them off. Um, not take it very seriously, doesn't follow up with them. Um, so I think I think the officers um, are, the police departments are trying to do a better job of, of making this a priority just with the, the officers on the, the, the beat level. Yeah, yeah I think uh, 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 that, uh, that very uh, um, uh, uh, issue is something that we confront as, as journalists: hate crime versus hate incidents. Um, and you know, I'm just going to turn to Dana as the public safety editor. Your group is sorting through uh, uh, crimes and, uh, uh, and and accidents and fires and you know all sorts of uh, uh, misfortune in the community every day. And you know, how do you sort through, uh, like when there's a big hate crime, I think we know what to do. But when there are acts of racism uh, that maybe don't rise to the level of a crime, I think that raises, you know, I think it's tough for us to to to, to, to know what to do sometimes. And I just, uh, I, I guess I wanted to hear your perspective on how your group deals with those uh, issues and, uh, and, and whether that's changed over time. 
it can be difficult, <clears throat> excuse me, for us to deal with those issues, those incidents where it might not be clear as of yet that that thing has risen to the level of a crime. Um, I do think there has been a shift in recent years to to focus on some of those incidents um, a little more, you know, uh, to, to realize what they are in the moment rather than later. Um, you know, that's still a challenge that we wrestle with. Um, but I'll give you an example of the type of thing that I'm talking about is, you know, when there's when there's vandalism, for example, mm -hmm. you know, um, we don't write about every instance of vandalism that happens in our counties. I'm sure you're well aware of. Um, but, you know, when there is hate speech involved or when the particular building or maybe a specific household is targeted, that seems to change the, the composition of the event. Right. So it's not, you know, simply somebody was you know, or, or it looks like the person wasn't simply just being destructive, but this is a message that's being sent to a particular person, a particular group, et cetera. And so for those kinds of things, you know, I think now those do get better play than they had uh, in previous years. And I'm talking about a, a very kind of, you know, shortened time frame, I'd say within the last five years or so, you know, that's something that I've learned is that, um, you know, okay, maybe that graffiti on the sidewalk in front of the house, even though there's no, um, no arrest, um, no suspect, nobody was hurt. Um, and maybe even the damage itself wasn't extensive, you know, that is still something that deserves a bit more attention because of the, you know, undercurrent of hatred that is being exhibited in that particular event. Maybe it's not an undercurrent, maybe it is blatant right. and overt and we need to recognize that. Um, so it, those, those are tough calls though. You know, here we are at a time when broadly speaking, um, not only we here at the Union Tribune, but in newsrooms all over the country are trying to reevaluate how we handle our crime coverage you know, and, and where we're placing that attention and what our readers are interested in and whether by, you know, writing about these things, we are in fact, you know, doing some harm to certain communities or perpetuating stereotypes and all of that. So these kinds of hate incidents that we're talking about are part of the whole conversation. You know, you, you can get stuck in a mindset as a journalist as well. You know, maybe this is one of those things that needs to fall off the list because nobody got hurt. You know, nobody's dead. Um, uh, it's the chalk on the sidewalk. So that can wash away. You know, but the effect that happens to those people in what is really a targeted attack doesn't wash away. And so we need to balance those those different concerns. And um, whereas maybe five years ago, we might have said, ah, well, we're going to, you know, just write a few lines on that. You know, that's it. We're done. Maybe we do take a closer look at that incident, even though it's not perhaps a crime just yet, um, at least, you know, in the eyes of police or in the eyes of prosecutors. Maybe that is something we need to spend some time on. Maybe that is something we need to make sure we go out to the scene and get the photos of the damage itself. Maybe that is something that needs to be played B1 or A1. Um, 
you know, we've had examples recently, uh, you know, of, of graffiti written on uh, the a business that is um, owned by a black businesswoman. And we had several stories about that particular incident. Um, again, you could you could use the overly, you know, simplistic kind of litmus test here. Say, well, you know, nobody died there, you know. So so maybe we downplay that a little bit. But actually, with that incident, in you know, what would happen to that person, to that business owner, what it said about the community, what it said about what was going on, not only in San Diego County, but you know, in the larger picture of of what was happening in our country. That story got uh, more attention, better play, and that was a good decision in that moment. I'm not sure we would have made the same decision maybe five years ago. Right. So I, I was, we're learning. Yeah. I, another thing that I think I've noticed is that um, often the reporting on these hate incidents comes to us from the community. Yes. Unlike most of our public safety report where we're listening, the, the police are telling us crimes have happened and we're trying to sort through which ones we think are going to, we're going to cover. These often are, are not on the list from the police, if I'm right. You are right. Yes. Often they are not. And so um, it is incumbent upon us to make sure that we are you know, doing those interviews, listening. Sometimes we do have to wait or take a step back because you know, the allegations that are being made, you know, there might be something that's a little bit unclear or we're not sure how to handle it or there is no police report that corroborates you know, what was being said and we're not able to see for, I'll use a vandalism example, um, you know, maybe the vandalism was cleaned up before it came Came to our attention. So, you know, we don't have any other corroboration that the vandalism did indeed happen. Um, so these things can be complicated, but we, we absolutely need to be paying attention to them. Even if, you know, the information comes to us and it's not something we write about today, but we absolutely make a note and make it a point to follow up on that in the days and weeks to come follow the life of that particular incident or that particular crime, that particular case, um, and pick it up when we do have enough to go forward with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Christina, I just want to turn back to you for a second. Uh, uh, um, you know, Dana's talking about uh, sort of the end point uh, where we get a glimpse into that act of hatred in a neighborhood. You know, your example, the, the graffiti. Um, but I also think that we've done reporting, both yourself and Andrew Dyer, about the workings of some of these hate groups where we can see how hate and uh, uh, hate speech and misinformation is being um, uh, spread and created in our community. I just uh, wanted to give you a chance to just touch on that for a second. Yeah, and like I said before, I mean, a lot of it is largely online in these chats, um, and you have to to understand it. You have to spend time in there, um, and it's it's totally horrible. <laughs> Damages your mind, uh, trust me. Um, and uh, you know, uh, there's also um, Facebook groups. Um, you know, there there was some. Uh, really interesting activity going on, um, you know, when the Black Lives Matter movement was was really going strong. Um, was that two summers ago? 
now. Um, and there were some um, groups uh, kind of countering that movement um, that were uh, largely online um, and they kind of had, they got kicked off Facebook, Facebook a lot. <laughs> but so they'd kind of be changing their, their pages and they'd get new ones and they'd be public for a while and they'd go private. Um, so uh, I think it was a challenge to kind of track them and sometimes get reporters in there. Um, but uh, you saw a lot of spreading that way and, and mobilizing that way. Um, you know, it's, hey, let's be on the street corner at this time um, and uh, basically, you know, menace this other, uh, you know, usually like Black Lives Matter groups. Um, so there was a lot of that activity going on. Um, there's also some groups um, that really are focusing on college campuses. Um, and what they do is they, I mean, they do old fashioned like flyering where they'll just drop a bunch of pamphlets all over the place or they'll do um, uh, stickers all over the place, up on light poles, little newspaper stands kind of all over campus or uh, they'll target certain neighborhoods um, or they'll do banner drops and things like that. So real public and, you know, the messaging has changed a lot too. Um, some of these white supremacy groups um, are using, they're not as uh, sometimes, their public facing message, message isn't as, um, as, as bold and, 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 and clearly outright racist as maybe it was back in the, the 50s or 60s. Um, it's just a little more um, maybe cloaked in politics uh, or maybe on the face of it, you know, someone who doesn't really think about these things that much passes by it um, and doesn't see as much harm in it. But, um, but when you get back into some of these tactics, um, I mean, they're, they're completely rooted in racism and white supremacy. Um, so I think it's understanding that, you know, it, it, it just takes a little time and effort to, to understand that messaging. Um, and what what's really being said here and the harm that's really trying to be done. Yeah, so uh, um, I, you know, I think that we're creating accountability around uh, um, misinformation and hate information, as well as um, um, reporting what's really going on in the community, uh, like Dana was talking about, are two of the important things we can do. And Luis, I wanted to talk to you uh, in your role as co community uh, uh, relations director, because I also feel like building uh, strong communities, uh, building trust in communities, uh, building relationships between people is a fundamental part of fighting hate. And I'm, I, I was just wondering about Perhaps your thoughts about that. Uh, you're somebody who's been, uh, you know, uh, run a TV station in a in a community, and I know you've got a deep belief in community life. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm and I'm I'm wondering how you see that work intersecting with um, the kinds of things that Dana and Christina are talking about. Well, I think a lot of us went into the media or went into this career because we wanted to give a voice to the voiceless. We wanted to make a positive impact in the communities that uh, we live in and that we cover. And so that's where I think community is very important. And I think that um, 
we have a, a very important and major platform. Uh, and I, so personally, I, I, I believe that we should use it to do good in, in what we do and, and, um, and to make positive impacts in, in our communities. Um, so that's why I, I believe that it's important for people to realize that we are uh, your neighbor where we're, um, where we have neighbors, uh, family members in our community. Um, and, and so I think a lot of people, especially nowadays with social media and some cable networks um, that that really just spew dangerous rhetoric. Uh, I think a lot of people see us as some sort of abstract entity uh, that we are not part of the community, and 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 it drives me it drives me nuts that uh, when when people don't realize what happens in our community also affects us, and um, and so it's not just we're you know living in our own bubble and and telling people. Uh, this is this is what's going on in our community. No, what happens out in our community really does affect us. So it, as a community relations director, I have I have a, a fun and, and a really a rewarding position in that I get to interact with the public. We have a community advisory board that's really made up of remarkable individuals that are really involved in the community. And so when you talk about um, uh, hate crimes and that and and or something that happens in their community, uh, they are some of the first people to learn about what's going on. And so, uh, since I'm the the community liaison, they'll reach out to me and and uh, and tell me, you know, hey, this happened last night or this just happened. Uh, and uh, obviously, it's my job to send it up to the to the news department and and then our reporters, uh, you know, and, and editors will uh, investigate further as to whether or not uh, these are our hate crimes um, happening in our community. But again, uh, a lot of what we find out obviously is through through the community um, and, and the people that we talk to. So um, it's Again, it, it just becomes full circle. We 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 are uh, a part of the community, and and I maybe I think we need to do a better job of of uh, of letting people know that that we are part of the community. I think uh, to some extent, um, you know, I, I and you know, having been a former journalist myself, uh, there is that distance. I guess that you know you you. Sometimes you put up a, you do put up a wall because you want to uh, you want to make sure that that people uh, know that you, you have a job to do and, and you have different sides of a story to tell. And so sometimes uh, not everyone's going to be happy with how the story is told uh, just because you have to tell uh, other points of view. Um, and so, I, again, I guess in the past, maybe we haven't uh, done uh, the best job, I guess, of, of letting people know that, hey, we are we are your neighbors. We uh, we also live in this community and what's happening also affects us. Yeah, I, I also think as as uh, local journalists, um, we're truthfully, I, I believe, the most important work. Uh, is done on this topic and others. Maybe we haven't really uh, mastered a real understanding of the role of some of the 
uh, the little stories, you know, uh, the kinds of community uh, fairs and festivals, things that center the cultural experience of different people. I think it's like big city journalists, uh, sometimes we sort of diminish the importance of, 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 uh, of that kind of news. And um, uh, I think that's a shortcoming of what we do. I, I do have to say, I have to put on my community relations uh, hat uh, on. Uh, I do have to say that the Union Tribune sponsors more than 50 uh, community events and organizations throughout the year. And a lot of them are um, these uh, community um, events. Uh, and so we, we do try to be out there. Now, to your point, do we necessarily cover them? Perhaps, uh, you know, we don't do the best job of of. Uh, uh, of letting people know that, hey, we are supporting these these uh, organizations and causes, uh, but we we are out there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I didn't really mean it in terms of the, that we should necessarily promote our role, but just that the, you know, the wellsprings of community life uh, are. Uh, are not always something that uh, as journalists we're, we're, we're super good at talking about, you know, because we're geared toward uh, conflict and action. Um, uh, but Laura Sacalo, I wanted to just give you a second to weigh in on the bigger issue of hate crime. We're a little over time. Uh, uh, um, you're making the calls on all of these uh, stories. What's your perspective on how our work has changed uh, and what kind of job the industry is doing? I, I do think uh, we have changed and I too have given a lot of thought uh, to that incident, um, the fire at the mosque that preceded the, the shooting at the Habata Poway and revisited that and our own decision-making related to that. And I think it's that particular incident was indicative of our tendency, both our organization and maybe journalism as a whole, to look at these as isolated, independent incidents, rather than put them into a broader context of systemic issues and systemic problems. And I think, for me, that's been one of the shifts over time, is to look at this a little bit differently. These are not usually isolated incidents. And I think we've seen that uh, in the past few years. Um, and I also think this distinction that, that Christina and Dana were talking about, you know, the issue of hate crimes versus hate incidents, I think we are very clear, as you said, we know what to do when it's a, it's a major hate crime the incidents that we are aware of and many of which we are not aware of that don't get reported or are vastly underreported, I think we still have some learning to do about how to help the community understand what's going on. Those are all indicative of, you know, a very big problem in our community and Part of our role is to create understanding, both you know, good and bad. And I think it's important that we realize that 
the definition, the legal definition of whether or not something is a hate crime, while meaningful, doesn't really have a bearing on whether the community that's affected feels safe or not. And these incidents change the life of the community, whether or not they rise to the level of a crime. And I think our role in reporting that and helping the broader community understand is, is really important. Yeah, uh, a lot uh, to think about in terms of uh, our role and responsibility here. Uh, we'll have to leave it there for now. Uh, uh, Luis, um, back to you. Thank you very much, Jeff, Laura, Dana, and Christina. That does it for this special edition of San Diego News Fix. Don't forget to listen to San Diego News Fix with Christy Totten for an in-depth look at local stories making headlines throughout the week. You can find San Diego News Fix wherever you get your podcasts. For everyone at the San Diego Union Tribune, thank you very much for listening. Have a great day, everybody.